welcome to Wrestling with the Future. I'm your host, Psychic Angelo. Jeff the Ref is on assignment today. And I am joined today by an amazing guy. He's a good friend. He is a writer, actor, producer, director at Filmmaker Extraordinaire. Please welcome Mike Messier. Mikey, how you doing, brother? I'm good, Angelo. And our shout out to Jeff as he's on assignment. And um, happy to be here. Uh, a quick mention that... One of my film projects, um, Ox Baker, One of the Boys, is now available on the Vince Russo YouTube channel. So if people want to check that out, uh, Ox Baker was a good friend of mine. And uh, he, he did an interview with me about a year before he passed away at his home in Connecticut. And uh, it's available online on the Vince Russo channel or on my channel as well, uh, Ox Baker, One of the Boys. But let's get into it, Angelo. What's going on, buddy? Absolutely. Well, here's what's going on. We're, we're going to talk a little bit today about, and I, I, I thought about this the other day when I had a conversation with Jack Victory. And I encourage everybody to go to our, uh, all of our platforms and listen to that conversation with Jack Victory. Very informative, insightful. And that was part one of our conversation. Jack will be back this week for part two. And we're calling this Story Time with Jack. Uh, it's uh, everything wrestling road stories and more. So be sure to join us when that show drops on Wednesday. But what I wanted to do today, Mikey, was I wanted to talk about wrestling on television um, then and now and kind of tie that into what happened this weekend with uh, AEW's first official pay-per-view called Full Gear. Right. So let's let's talk a little bit. You and I are... are I would... And I don't want to speak on your behalf, but I would say that you're probably old school. I think so. Okay. And then you remember when you watched wrestling growing up, the flavor, yes, yes. the feel, the uh, the characters. Right. And I watch wrestling now, and although I watch it with a different eye, I still do miss the characters. I miss the, uh, the storylines, the... Um, uh, the angles, uh, um, sometimes ridiculous angles, sometimes, you know, insightful and uh, thought-provoking, provocative. Right. I certainly don't miss the bra and panties matches, I will tell you that. <laughs> but, uh, but I do miss the good old-fashioned characters. The mystique, I think you're looking for. The word would be mystique of it all. Yeah, and that, you know what, Mikey, that's a really good word. Yeah, mystique of there wrestling. There was a mystery element. Right. Wrestling. There was uh, before, and I, I hate using this word, <laughs> but before everyone got smartened up. Right. Yes, and before there were smart marks, which in and of itself is uh, ironic. It's kind of an oxymoron. Because if you're smart, you're not a mark. And if you're a mark, you're not smart. <laughs> yeah, good point. But before everyone became, you know, an expert on wrestling, there was this third layer, this veil that covered pro wrestling. Yep. It was, it was the, the man behind the curtain pulling the strings. You knew it was the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. But you almost didn't want to know what he looked like. And they weren't so blatant about telling you every in and out of everything. Yeah, so what, 
And here's the question I asked you. I want to ask you the same question, Mikey. What happened to our wrestling, brother? What have they done to our sport is how I used to say it. Um, I, I, I chalk it up once again to uh, Tough Enough, uh, the original Tough Enough. I think it was, I want to say 2001, 2002, when you had Maven. Uh, you had guys like Taz and Al Snow as coaches. And, of course, they were just doing their job. And you had a lot of great talent come out of uh, Tough Enough. You had a lot of great divas. Uh, Jackie Gata and, and others came out of there. But for me, when they peeled back that um, the WWE training so deep and showed you guys and women taking back bumps and developing characters and all the things that they did – and they were trying to get you to watch Tough Enough right after Raw. You know, so you watch Raw or SmackDown and then turn the channel to UPN or MTV. I think it was MTV at the time. It and was. Yeah, here's the guy learning how to do the backdrop that you just watched him take. And he'll be here next week taking the same backdrop. And Yeah. Um, I mean, Tough Enough has come and gone. And I'll be honest, I've enjoyed watching the show some years, some seasons. But, I mean, even even the last time, I think they really did it full force. A, a, a big Andy, big Andy, this guy who was six foot seven or six foot six, won the right. whole thing. And he was horrible. I mean, he went to the training uh, compound. And yeah. uh, I think he was on Raw once with Stone Cold, took a stunner. And that was the end of Big Andy. Um, so, And I think he didn't even sell the stunner. He didn't sell the stunner. Um, so... To me, comparing that type of thing with uh, the, the era that Jack Victory was in, your, your guest on your uh, show, uh, Jack Victory, if you saw the Fantastics versus Sheepherders and those barbed wire box matches, if you saw, you and I were talking privately about the New Zealand militia and how they were kind of an undercard tag team in WCW in 1989. But yeah, it was, there was a mystique even to the New Zealand militia as an undercard tag team. Because they had Lord Littlebrook as their manager and so forth. And I think what Full Gear uh, attempted to do and maybe didn't, you know, that Full Gear show is really an interesting show. And I know that we'll have Jeff, uh, the ref, to talk about it too. But for me, maybe what was missing from that show was not the actual in ring action. I think the in ring action was great. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think it's like a story. What what Baltimore is, and I've been to the Baltimore Arena many times. That's now called the Royal Farms Arena. Um, I was there when Ron Simmons beat Vader. That's a story. The first African American World Heavyweight Wrestling Singles Champion. That was a story being told. I exactly. was there. When, yeah, I was there when Owen Hart won the King of the Ring, nineteen ninety four. That was the story of the younger brother matching what his older brother had done the year before. What Full Gear lacked, perhaps, is a beginning and a middle to a lot of those matches leading up to the matches. So the, the emotional investment, they weren't really being paid off because there was nothing to pay off. Well, you're talking about something, Mikey, that I have been harping on for the last couple of episodes. And you, uh, you keyed in on the magic words, emotional investment. Right. You know, we were invested. You and I, when we were growing up watching this on television, we were invested in these characters, these larger-than-life personalities. Well, we have great wrestlers now, and their athleticism is, is beyond par. It cannot be rivaled athletically. Right. But where are the personalities? 
Where's the character development? Who are these people? I, I'm not invested emotionally in anybody I'm seeing. I love what they do. Get me, don't get me wrong. You know, and, and I want people listening and watching this to understand. I'm not putting down the product. I just think that it's missing a vital, most vital. I don't know how to stress this enough. A critical element which is the emotion how do i feel for this guy how do i hate someone so bad that i i want to throw my beer at them how do i love someone so adoringly i want to be them you know it was back in the day rick flair every woman wants to be with him every man wants to be him you know right he's a nature boy um he was a character. Yes, he was Ric Flair 24-7, but he was still, you know, a walking, living, breathing character. And that's missing. I don't, I don't find, probably, and I'm going to stop myself for just a second, but probably the closest today that has that kind of old school feel, and you might agree, Mike, is this kid Maxwell Jacob Friedman, MJF? Yeah, yeah M M he had this. He's got something. Yeah, MJF um, is a heel that uh, you know he was a heel disguising as a baby face as Cody's kind of protege for a couple of months, and the the big payoff was just at that full gear show the other night, last Saturday night, I guess uh, six days ago. At this point, we we're recording this. Uh, but when MJF, you know, as soon as he came out to the ring as uh, Cody Rhodes' second, you know, most most attuned fans were like, okay, we know where this is headed by the end of the night. Here's yeah. where they're going to do the heel turn. It was just, you know, kind of written out in the stars. But um, MJF does have it. He he was on the Rosie O'Donnell show when he was six or seven years old and was kind of a smart aleck kid. Yeah. So <laughs> he's just kind of a natural. I don't know if you, you've seen that clip, but it's pretty funny. I actually have. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think if anything that that an MJF, kind of like a Chris Jericho, also in AEW, and we saw this personified in their double promo the other night on Wednesday on, on Dynamite, is is MJF or Chris Jericho such a good heel? that they become likable and then in a sense become babyface. So well we saw that yeah Mike we saw that in history a couple of times. Uh it happened with Steve Austin and Bret Hart. Right. Bret Hart walks into the match as the babyface and he leaves the same match as the heel. Steve Austin who was the quintessential heel the finger popping, beer drinking, you know, rebel rousing, swearing badass from you know the rattlesnake from Texas, as Jr. calls him. Right. He ends up being adored and loved. Yeah. But you mentioned in describing MJF, he comes in with Cody. You know, he's his friend, which is we'll talk about that in a second too, because I got a problem with that. Okay. Comes in as his friend, and and like you said, all the in tune fans or what they call smart fans, they all knew. Okay, we're just waiting for the heel turn now. 
But doesn't that in itself tell you something's wrong if you're anticipating that you already know he's going to turn? Well, there was you know, no history there. Well, there was a lot of history. Uh, if if you were watching like their their shows, their uh, being the elite shows, they built up that storyline. So so what I what I'm talking about is like the fans that are hardcore AEW, hardcore being the elite fans, which I'm not hardcore like that, but I know enough of it. I agree. So, you know, it was one of those deals where uh, MJF ha is really a heel character. He was trying to be Cody's buddy. Uh, they, they, even I don't know if they went there or not, but I mean, there was hints that he was kind of eyeing over Brandy Rhodes and stuff like that. So I did catch that, Mike. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, so I mean they've they've done their work. I think what what the difference is, Angelo, is that with AEW, you know, with the exception of the last six or seven weeks now, they haven't had a weekly television show. So people that are trying to follow their storylines are gonna go to YouTube and watch Being Delete until six or seven weeks ago. Now here's right. here's the irony where maybe AEW is falling short. Now that they have two hours of television a week, they are putting so much emphasis on the ring in-ring action, which is great for their live audience because people are paying. Those AEW Dynamite okay. tickets are expensive. I looked into it, and you know, you're talking like um, I think they might be charging almost a thousand bucks for like ringside, and then fifty bucks, thirty bucks. They're not fifteen dollar tickets anymore. Oh no. So my point is that knowing that they're having a live house audience paying to go to those tapings which you can stay home and watch for free if you want. They're trying right. to give those fans a lot of in-ring action. The sacrifice or the choices, then you're not going to have as much time for vignettes and promos and storyline development as a lot of fans that are used to the WWE are, are used to. And so, therein lies the problem. Right. Therein lies the biggest problem because those vignettes, that was your background. Right. That was your history. Why does this guy hate this guy? Let's go see. Let's take a look. Let's pull back the veil just enough to give you a peek at what brought them to this point without exposing the entire thing. Right. Now, we give away everything for free. Yeah, the, the problem is they don't have enough time to have a 20-minute, a you know, John Moxley versus Page draw and develop why does Joey Janela and Sean Spears have an issue? You know, if you really think about it, there's two hours of television on Wednesday nights, uh, probably 25 or 30 minutes of that's thrown out for commercials and bumpers. So you're yeah. down with 90 minutes. Of that 90 minutes, how much time are they supposed to give to actual matches to satisfy those people that are paying, you know, 30 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 1,000 bucks to be yeah. there? And how do you balance that with vignettes, storylines, and promos to satisfy people's need for the male soap opera, as it's been called. Mike, you bring up a very very valid point, and it's that, it ties in to something that we talked about the other night with Jack Victory. I asked him the question. I said, Jack, what happened to the house show business? Has television killed the house show? Right. And by and large, it has, but it doesn't have to be that way. If you remember growing up watching on television, it was big guy versus little guy, squash match after squash match. 
Once every two or three weeks, Bruno San Martino would come on and make an appearance. He was the champion. But if you wanted to see Bruno, you had to pay that ticket money to go see him at your local arena. Right. Now, that's all gone. Everything's on television. Big corporate sponsors are paying millions and millions of dollars. If they don't sell out a 20,000-seat arena, guess what, Mikey? They don't have to. They don't have to. People were complaining, oh, WWE only drew 3,000 people to a 22,000-seat building. So what? Who cares? They're getting paid the same. Uh, I guess I'm wrong here. Tell me if I'm if I'm wrong. Well, I, I guess the question uh, or the response for that would be, who cares? Uh, I care because to me, it's an embarrassment when a pro wrestling company as big as the WWE, with their ties to local marketing, by now you know, sixty years or fifty years of being in business, the WWE has ties to every market, whether it's Florida, Rhode Island, New York, New Jersey. So they should be able to get a decent-sized crowd for every house show. Uh, some will be better than others. But when you're talking about places like Madison Square Garden getting horrible uh, turnouts for WWE shows, to yeah, me, that's yeah. an embarrassment. And, you know, the adjustment could be the WWE could either, A, do what Eric Bischoff did back in the early 90s with WCW, stop doing house shows or stop doing as many house shows. if. If right. they're going to cost you money or be an embarrassment and you've got all these tarps filling up arenas instead of human beings with pulses, put a, put a break on the house show and maybe in two or three years, uh, the fan base will want house shows again and, and absence makes the heart grow fonder. Um, they do so much, WWE now does so much television. To me, they inundate their own product onto their own consumer uh, and that's the point, of, and Mikey, thanks. That's the point I was making. They don't need, you know. When I, I, I parenthetically asked the question, "Who cares?" Because they have corporate advertising, right? From a fan perspective, I care. Uh, let me make that very clear, and I know you care. Yes, yes. But they don't care if they don't care enough about their target audience to want them to come to an arena because they know they have the fallback of huge corporate sponsorship and then what you know it is what it is what do you do or huge saudi arabian sponsorship or huge fox deal sponsorship oh yeah exactly so I mean, it's, we're talking about you know especially okay you mentioned fox television right like the number two television market in the in the world right now, not just in, in the U.S. Right. You know, Fox is like number two worldwide under just under NBC. Right. Which is the single biggest television market worldwide. If Fox is throwing all this money into the SmackDown program. And they're not seeing any residual benefit financially from their investment. One of two things is going to happen. They're going to sell it back to Vince McMahon at a loss. Or they're going to cancel the show outright. They, and I, I tell people. You make, make no mistake about this. 
and you you you're in the film business, Mike. You know how this works. You've done enough film and television to know. Right. If Fox cancels the show, guess what, brother? They own that show. It's no longer the WWE owned SmackDown. It's WWE's SmackDown, but it's owned by Fox. So we need to be real clear about that. If they cancel that show, and they have a right to, it's their show. They own it. Okay. So well, if, they're, if they're throwing this kind of money yeah. into that kind of television production, and after a while they don't see any benefit financially, you tell me, like if you're making a movie. Right. You put uh, a $2 million budget up against your film, this is what you got to work with, right? Yep. If two million dollars worth of ticket sales aren't generated, you've already lost. You've actually, you've technically lost when you said cut rap. Sure. Because you haven't sold any tickets yet. Unless a distributor buys your film and says, here, Mr. Messier, here's Two and a half million dollars to cover the cost of your film. Right. We're going to buy it now. But no one will ever see this film. It'll never see the light of day. What do you care? You got your two million dollars. Well, or, do, or do you, as an artist... There you go. Okay. There you go. <laughs> You hit the and magic word there. You get where I'm going with it, right? I do. And, and, and you, you, as they say, you provided a lot for us to unpack. Um, the, the first off thing I would say is you said it. As an artist, um, what Mike Messier would do is probably going to be different than what Vince McMahon, Paul Levesque, and Stephanie McMahon, and Shane McMahon, if he has anything to do with the decision, would do. Uh, I, I would consider myself a very different person than the McMahons, which is probably well illustrated by the fact that when I had a job interview for the company, I wasn't hired. Um, I the next, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for everybody. But I mean, um, what I would say is that there's a bigger picture here, Angelo, which I think, uh, and I get what you're saying, that if Fox is investing all this money into this show and, and they had a great first week ratings when they unveiled Kane Velasquez and they had all the special guests, but if I'm not mistaken, the SmackDown ratings have been going very, very, very lower after that. They've progressively gone a lot worse. They've reached an all-time low Friday night. Yeah, and Friday night's a bad night for anything on television because that's the night, that's the beginning of the weekend. So if... People go out. Right. And especially in that age demographic of uh, men, and I guess, you know, more w women fans are watching... But those single people are going out trying to get some uh, action of their own, so to speak. Trying to <laughs> trying to get their own SmackDown, so to speak. Exactly, brother. <laughs> so, so very well, very well played, my friend. Very well right, played. Right. So, so a single guy sitting at home, you know, watching to see if Bailey attacked the sock monkeys or the air balloons, or if Sasha Bank has colored her hair, hair purple or blue this week or uh, wondering if Drew McIntyre is going to lose again, 
that's not of interest to someone who's trying to get their Friday night on, so to speak. Um, that being said, exactly right. And thank you for recognizing that. Right now, now that being said, I would say the bigger picture is this Fox network is the same Fox that's owned by Rupert Murdoch. He's still the owner, I believe, right? He is. And Rupert Murdoch is with Fox News. And whenever you watch any type of politics, and I'm, I'm not a big pol political fan or pundit, but you basically know that on one corner it's Fox News, on the other corner it's CNN. And Fox News favors the Republicans, CNN favors the Democrats. Um, Donald Trump is a Republican. Now, some people would argue, is he a true Republican? Is he, is he his own guy who's in it for himself? Whatever. But as of now, Donald Trump, the president, is a Republican. Uh, he yeah. is in good favor, for the most part, with Fox News, which is also Fox. Absolutely. Which, which broadcasts Vince McMahon's WWE. Donald Trump is a WWE Hall of Famer. Donald Trump hosted WrestleMania 4 and WrestleMania 5. Let's also not lose sight of the fact that Vince McMahon's wife works for Donald Trump. Correct. And that the McMahons paid, I believe the figure I read, it could be wrong, $16 million towards Trump's 2016 campaign. That's accurate. Right. So if McMahon supports Trump, Trump supports McMahon, uh, Fox supports Trump, why wouldn't Fox support Vince? So Absolutely. It's a, you can call it cahoots, you can call it looking out for your buddy, you can call it whatever you want, but when the WWE <clears throat> fan, who oftentimes doesn't want to be aware of these things that are right in front of them, exactly. but it's obvious. When you watch SmackDown, you're supporting Vince, you're supporting Trump, you're supporting Fox News. If you're the same type of fan who, who hates what you see on Fox News and hate the left-wing um, speech or the left wing, uh, I'm sorry, the right wing speech. If, if you if you hate what the right wing is saying, the Republicans, yeah. but you're watching WWE and you're eating your Cheerios or your Bolios or your, I always forget what the New Day calls their cereal, the New Dayos or whatever it is. But Bootios. If, <laughs> Bootios, right. If you're eating your Bootios and watching uh, CNN and hating what they say on Fox News and then you turn in Friday night to see what color hair Sasha Banks is wearing this week, Exactly. I'm sorry, you're a naive hypocrite or an idiot. You know, I mean, you can't have it all the way. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, and we're, we're going to talk about full gear uh, in fullness here in just a moment. But let's, and we're going to weave this into it. But let's just talk about, we'll put a uh, an exclamation on this Um the the television aspect of wrestling or wrestling television. It's interesting to note that back, I think around, I want to say like 95, 96, the, uh, the start of the so-called Attitude Era. Okay. The most salacious time in pro wrestling drew the highest ratings ever before or since your buddy vince russo was largely responsible for that all right vince <laughs> right <laughs> now i don't know vince russo i've right. never met vince russo but i have 
at least a few times appeared on his uh, his brand right. by way of other shows. I've been a guest on other shows on the brand. Nice. Although, again, I want to be very clear. I do not know Vince Russo and I've never met him. Never sure. even spoke to the man. Right. But he knows of me. Right. He was responsible for the biggest boom in wrestling, not because he understood the salaciousness, but he understood the public. I see a little bit of that. I see a touch of that with AEW. They understand their fan base. What bothers me about AEW television is that they're catering only to their fan base. They're not, they don't seem interested in expanding the border or the perimeter outside of what they know. Doesn't that in the long run, Mikey, kill their product? Doesn't it hurt their product? It, it probably does. And uh, what I think the term that I would use is indie-rific. You know, like AEW, in a lot of ways, action-wise, storyline-wise, production-wise, is not that much more advanced than a group that I used to see that I had nothing to do with personally called Beyond Wrestling out of Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, Beyond Wrestling had Chris Hero. They had uh, Donovan Dijak. You know, they had a lot of the guys that are big-time players now. Right. Uh, they, had, they had a guy named Chris Dickinson who conked a woman over the head with a chair, and that got a lot of attention in a negative way. But a, guy, a group like Beyond Wrestling would have these four-and-a-half-hour shows that I go to, and there would be no seats for the fans. Like, it yeah. was like standing room only. And most of the fans were in their 20s or 30s, and it was it was hipsters galore. It was, uh, you know, eat a waffle sandwich or, a, you know, a fried chicken melt from a truck in the uh, out of a food truck in the parking lot. I mean, this was hipster wrestling at its finest. Right. AEW is kind of the televised version of that to me. And okay, why I stopped going to Beyond Wrestling, and this is five or six years ago, not that long ago. But, I mean, they had guys like Kevin Steen was there and doing great matches. But it was, it, was, it was wrestling to the next level, but it didn't appeal to me because, A, I don't want to stand on my feet for four and a half hours. Uh, yeah. And, B, that kind of jokey, insider, uh, tongue-in-cheek, you know, we're, we're doing this, but we're kind of making fun of it at the same time, which yeah. the Young Bucks exemplify – and they've gotten a little bit away from that, which I appreciate. I'm talking about the Young Bucks in particular. Um, but for me, that type of hipster wrestling, ironic wrestling, as Cody labeled the Young Bucks' matches sometimes, it doesn't appeal to me. Um, not every match is going to be Tully Blanchard versus Magnum TA at Starrcade 85, but I wish it was, you know. And, oh, I agree. Uh, right. Now, now Omega uh, Moxley... Uh, in this lights out unsanctioned match in Baltimore, to me, that was a throwback to Tully and Magnum in the I Quit match. And and I found it very interesting that that was the one match that kind of, for me, made that pay-per-view all come together as being worth the 50 bucks. Uh, but other people, including, I guess, Dave Meltzer had some initial uh, criticism of it, and other people did. Renee Young, of course, the wife of uh, John Moxley, did not appreciate it. Um, right. 
But for, for others fans to stand up and, and take, you know, call this match gross and all this stuff, I guess they just were used to uh, Miz versus um, Seth Rollins matches or, or whatever they were used to for the last 15 years. To me, this right. was a throwback to the old Japanese death matches, Mick Foley versus Terry Gordy, Mick Foley versus Terry Funk. Uh, Axel Rodden versus Ian You have to remember, though, that before AEW, everybody was uh, was being fed baby pablum. Right. You know, uh, we're talking about, you know, conditioning. They conditioned their fans to accept, you know, um, the baby food that they were being fed. Right. You know, look, you, you can hate strained carrots, but if you eat enough strained carrots, you're going to develop a taste for them. There you go. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I think happened with WWE. They had this PG product. All of a sudden, they went from raucous, you know, wrestling bra and panty matches to salacious angles to blatantly sexual angles to on a dime stopping it. And all of a sudden, now we're PG. And now we're like Disney. Right. Now we're, we're going to see Mickey Mouse and Goofy wrestle soon. Well, they had that bunny a couple of years ago with Adam Rose, so it's not that far off. It, it, um, exactly. Right. Exactly. Now, here's here's that two-headed coin. If, if you want to know my opinion of when that two-headed coin of PG era kicked in, it was this is the two heads. The first one was June of 2007, uh, the Chris Benoit incident. I, yep. Uh, yep. Now, here's the deal, folks. I, I have a video uh, on YouTube, Mike Messier's Pro Wrestling Rants, where I conjecture that we'll never know what really happened with Chris Benoit. We don't know if it, he did what they say he did, they being the police, or if there was more to it. We'll really never know because none of us were there. You know what I mean? Right. Um, that being said, it, whatever happened, three people dead. Uh, and woman, you know, Nancy Benoit's career never gets mentioned as what a great career she had. She was the first uh, Caucasian woman to manage an African-American world tag team champions, Ron Simmons and Butch Reed. True. So she, she had a hell of a great career herself just as a character. Um, and, of course, the son, the tragedy with the son. Uh, just as a quick aside, Angelo, somebody posted that they went to on Twitter. They went to StarCast. And they said, I bumped it. They Twittered this. They bumped into a ghost. And then the guy tells a story. He bumped into someone. He looked over and it was uh, Chris Benoit's son, his living son, uh, David Benoit. And the guy okay. did a double take and he said, oh, my God. And, and uh, David Benoit said, hey, I get that a lot. And the kid said, oh, I'm sorry. You must be Daniel Benoit. And, and David Benoit said, no, Daniel was my brother. And the guy who did this uh, just walked away from him. And I and I tweeted, and people were kind of responding, oh, my God, what a story. And I said, I said, hey, maybe you should have been a man and apologized to David Benoit and shook his hand because that's not his fault. It's yeah. not his fault what happened with his family. It's not, I mean, I'm sure he lives with it every day and the resemblance he has to his father. Yeah, well, that, 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 that's a rabbit hole that we can go down right. on, a, on another show, and I'm sure we will because we definitely have plans of discussing the Benoit situation, it's far, far from over, but I don't even want to begin 
to get into that here. So what, was, what was the gist of the story, Mike? The gist of it was I thought that, A, don't blame David Benoit for the crimes or not, whatever happened with his family. Now, the second part of the Attitude Era, see, this is the thing. That was the death of the Attitude Era into the PG Era. That's my point. Was Benoit in 2007, followed pretty quickly by Linda McMahon running for office, I believe, in Connecticut. So, right. And we talk about why is there a PG era? Why did suddenly we get Randy Orton versus John Cena for five years? Uh, it's because Linda McMahon wanted political office. She didn't want uh, the WWE to have the stench of the Attitude Era or the, the scantily clad uh, Deborah McMichael or Sable or whatever. And so they went on a, a very quick uh, cleanup job. And Triple H even talked about it, that him and Randy Orton were in the dressing room they have been doing this big storyline for months about them having this blood match at WrestleMania. And then the day of that WrestleMania, they were shoulder tapped and said, hey, we're PG now. And they had to go out there and do a very basic, ordinary wrestling match that flopped. Yeah, I know about that. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, it's this is just the, the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we can we can explore you know, wrestling television from a, a lot of different, and I'm sure you, know, you and I have our viewpoints. We bring Jeff the ref into this conversation. We're going to have a whole different set of opinions. Because that's how Jeff feels about this. Well, as, as a referee, Jeff knows that the referee, best case scenario, is like the conductor or the coach for a match to make sure that it goes as it's supposed to, to help with that. And some refs might be more active in that regard than others. Uh, right. But as far as this PG era goes, to me, if you're talking about fans that are giving AEW a shot, or even groups we didn't mention, Impact, the new NWA Power Show is very exciting on YouTube. MLW, uh, Ring of Honor is holding on for whatever it's worth. New Japan Pro Wrestling is doing shows in the United States now. Pretty good crowds. Yeah. Um, if you're talking about you know, the Mike, I'm surprised at, at just how big a following Japanese wrestling has in this country. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I had no clue the fan base that Japanese wrestling had. Uh, and when I, in fact, they, they just ran a show here, not far from here, in, in fact, in New Jersey. And it was a complete sellout. Right. You know, almost, you know, 3,000 tickets sold out within, uh, what, 30 minutes or so. And so, yeah, I mean, there's validity to what you're saying. You know, there's a lot of people who follow this Japanese product. I never personally got into it. You know, I don't particularly like that style, that strong style, as it's, you know, so-called. Because I don't see much difference between what they're doing now and what they're doing now, I'm not a big fan of. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. What's interesting, Angelo, was on YouTube, somebody did about a 20, 25-minute documentary about the different styles of Japanese wrestling and how All Japan Wrestling, if I have this right, All Japan style had a style called King's Road. Uh, uh, main event matches were like these dramatic epic 45-minute, one-hour title match. Uh, that was the style called King's Road. 
And I think it was New Japan that had the strong style, which was hard hitting to the point of almost being a shoot, um, you know, really hurt a guy type stuff. And yeah. to me, it was, it was fascinating that what I love about pro wrestling, just to be very uh, positive for just a second, because I am the angry wrestling fan, as you know, Angelo, but to be positive for a second, the great thing about pro wrestling and being a pro wrestling fan is you never run out of stuff to watch. You and I could get a stack of Mid-Atlantic wrestling tapes. You and I could get a stack of UWF, Jap Japan. Uh, you know, there's there's a group that was very stiff, very strong style in, in England. Uh, Dynamite Kid wrestled for it. Um, uh, I'm trying, it's off the top of my, uh, my head, but it had a very interesting style that they did rounds in, in England with Dynamite Kid and, and all these guys way back when. Uh, we could watch... WWE from 2003 and find ourselves enthralled by the comeback of Kevin Nash and Goldberg to, to WWE after being in WCW. You can find yourself, or even on the network now, I found myself watching, You, know, I think you and I talked about it, these house shows from places like the Philadelphia Spectrum and Madison yeah. Square Garden. And, and I found myself, Angelo, fascinated by Johnny Rods in an opening match uh, carrying some guy to a 20-minute match, and the other guy yeah. did not know how to wrestle, but somehow Johnny Rods made this guy look good. I couldn't believe well, it. Well, it, it was said that if you got through Johnny Rods, that you had a job. Yeah, and the guy that he was wrestling was a real tomato can who, who it was it was the typical feel of the Latino guy with, like, the Pete Jones name, like, like the... the yeah, like, exactly. Johnny had a lot of these opponents that were like Latino guys that had like uh, uh, Frank Evans. They had like the most Caucasian, boring names ever. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's funny, Mike, because one of the things that I announced on our Podbean website is that we're one of the upcoming shows that we're doing is all enhancement talent. The show will be called What Happened to Our Jobbers? Wow. So we're going to do a show just on enhancement talent, a.k.a. the jobbers. Well, the carpenters, they've also been called because if you're going to build a house, you need the guy to lay down the wood, and those were the carpenters. And, exactly. Uh, and you you had some great carpenters in the day. Johnny Rods was uh, one of the best. You had guys like Steve Lombardi, Ron Shaw, um, uh, uh, Bull McConnell, um, oh God, uh, not, not Bo McConnell, uh, Bo Curry, Rob oh, Curry. Uh, all these guys were enhancement talent, but they were also characters in their own right. You yeah. don't see enhancement talent now being called the unpredictable Johnny Rods. Right, right. You know? Um, or, or, you know, the Brooklyn Brawler. They, I mean, these were, you know, enhancement job guys that were characters. You don't see that anymore. Well, I'll say this just to play devil's advocate. Something, and you're not the only angry wrestling fan over here. I'll just like anger, Angelo, um, and appreciate the fans that are listening to us. Um, but if if you think about on AEW that group of guys called the Dark Order, you can make it a you can make a case that they're job guys. Now they they won a match the other night. They actually won. They beat Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt, and they got a little bit of mic time. But I think with that type of thing, or even the Ascension and the WWE, um, there are there are they're kind of guys that are like jobbers with characters now. 
And if you want to say like, um, who's the woo 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 guy? The guy uh, woo woo woo. Oh, Zach Ryder. Is, is do you consider Zach Ryder to be a jobber? I mean, he's had the Intercontinental Title. Absolutely. Well, you can say he's an over jobber. He's you know there was there was a term that we used to use in the late nineties, and we hated to put it on Big Van Vader and WWF, but we did. He was he became an over jobber. He was a guy that was over. And yeah. he had a character, but he was always losing to Kane or whoever else. Sure. Sure. But think about it, though. The characters. Right. You've said that word three or four times already. They were characters. Right, right. I, I will, I, as much as it pains me to do this, I'll give AEW credit. They are bringing back characters. Jungle Boy. Luchasaurus. Um... Dark Order, right. you know, um, with the the party. What are they called? Uh, the uh, what are they called? The, those guys, the, the, the private party tag the team. Private party, yes. These guys are characters. Are they great wrestlers? Yes. Very athletic, absolutely. But there, you, there's a, a touch of character there. You can see they're trying to to develop a character. They want you to become emotionally invested. The problem is they're not broadening their horizons enough for outsiders like me, the casual viewer, because I don't watch all the time. And everybody who listens and watches the show knows I rarely follow the product. That's why I have guys like you and Jeff on. I'm the catharsis by which you guys can vent. Or argue with, as the case may be. <laughs> here's, here's the thing, Angelo. Like for me, and I think I, I think I said this with you guys uh, last time I was on the show. You and Jeff the Ref, which was, I hate, I really hate. It doesn't matter if it was left wing, right wing, independent. I don't like my wrestling mixed with politics. So the thing that attracts I, me, thank you. The thing that attracts me to. And AEW, and look, card subject to change, if we find out something that the owners of AEW are doing something political with their money or their ties to wrestling, maybe I'll change my stance. But as of this moment, AEW is, from what I can tell, strictly in it for doing the wrestling. Tony Khan has a fetish for wrestling. Tony Khan's a lifelong Chris Jericho fan. So now he, he's like the kid who can afford the biggest dolls in the world. They're such big wrestling figures. They're actually people. So he can afford to play with his dolls and we get to watch it. Now, uh, WWE and Ring of Honor with Sinclair Broadcasting, where they've lost me is I don't want my wrestling mixed with anybody's politics. I don't care if you're left wing, right wing, uh, independent. To me, it's like the division of church and state. I, I don't want... Uh, the, even when the WWE, uh, you know, going back, I think, to 2008 uh, or maybe 2004, when Obama, Hillary, uh, and I, I want to say uh, McCain were all on uh, Raw giving little promos, I didn't like that either. No, that, would, that turned me off. Right. I didn't care for it whatsoever. I don't like the WWE feeling that they need to put their all-knowing WWE finger in every pie of my life. Meaning exactly. politics and social reform. And when Stephanie McMahon makes statements, she made a famous statement three or four years ago that 
the future of marketing is philanthropy. Well, it just shows you, you know, if that was the exact quote, maybe it wasn't, but it shows you where her mind is at. Yeah, it was close enough. Right. It's, it's, they don't, in my opinion, when they do things for the special needs kids and the Make-A-Wish kids, that's great. And I applaud that. And I support that. And I know that a lot of the wrestling talent or sports entertainment talent, as they want to call them, not just John Cena, but John Cena and everybody else put a lot of time into the charity work for those kids. But once you spread that into now we're going to push our political agenda, now we're going to push our social reform agenda. And and maybe right. while we're at it, we'll put spyware in your computer. And maybe while we're at it, we'll do this and we'll do that. And it's all for the greater good of the WWE here, now, and forever. That's when you've lost right. me, fans. I agree, Mikey. I agree, but what do we do about it? Watch other programs. And I think that's what the answer that a lot of wrestling fans are doing. This week, Angelo, I watched NWA Power. I watched Colt Cabana. I watched... Uh, Nick Aldis, to me, is a classy champion. This storyline uh, yeah. story with Tim Storm and Nick Aldis, if you if you get a binge watch in you, Angelo, or for the listeners, they've only done, I think, six episodes of NWA Power. Each episode is only about 45 minutes. You could bang that out in a day and be caught up to what the NWA is doing with Billy Corgan as the owner. And Billy Corgan doesn't appear on screen a whole lot. He's very, very rarely on the show. Um, right. So I, I like the NWA, what they're doing. Um, I like AEW, what they're doing. Is it perfect? No, it's not perfect. Um, Impact has lost me because they, they give Sammy Callahan, a guy who smashes people in the eyeball sockets with a baseball bat. They make him their champion. Uh, yeah. They're trying to put Tess, Tessa Blanchard as the first uh, possibly women's champion of the men's division. Uh, that's getting too convoluted for me. Um, I don't understand that at all, and and this is one of the many things that has pushed me ever so further back right. from where I, I, let's put it this way, when once I had a ringside seat, I'm getting real close to the nosebleed section, pretty uh, soon I'm going to be outside the building watching the show. <laughs> Now, here's a funny stat and fact, Angelo, for, for people that are listening. I haven't been to a live wrestling show in about three years. I think it was December of uh, 2016. I went to one of those Beyond Wrestling shows um, in Providence. And, uh, and, and the last live wrestling function I went to was a Something to Wrestle podcast with Bruce uh, Pritchard and, and Conrad Thompson. I went to that in the summer of 18. Um, and the irony is, as I go to these live events less, people are respecting my opinion more because I'm giving more of a perspective on it. And and therein lies the birth of this podcast. Right. I went to my first live show in five years, three weeks ago. Yeah. And as much as I enjoyed it, and it did kind of, it's funny though, it was just a local indie show, but I saw touches of old school, right? like that I grew up watching on television. I saw like old school wrestling and I was like, wow, these kids are good. Yeah. And they're, they have like compelling storylines and there's angles and, 
you know, there are characters and like, oh, I, can, I like this guy and oh, I hate that son of a bitch. Right. You know, and this is my first time in, like I said, five years. And I'm thinking to myself, if they cared enough to ask me what I thought and they go to every show, how valuable is my opinion to them? So I understand completely what you're saying. You're appreciated more for having attended less. Yeah. It's almost like saying, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? We appreciate your opinion. And therein is your target audience, the casual audience that you're completely dismissing today on television. There's a term for that called the lapse fan. Which uh, I think. Can you, know, you explain that to me, Mikey? I have heard a dozen people. In fact, there's even a podcast. I'm going to plug them called the Lapsed Fan Podcast. What the hell is the Lapsed Fan? Because I'm old and you know I'm old, so I don't understand this shit. Lapsed basically means someone who watched wrestling, whether it was during the golden era of the mid 80s or the Attitude Era of the mid to late 90s, or any other era of wrestling that they loved, they watched fervently, and whether the, whether the programming went stale, got cold, they lost their own interest, it's a pro wrestling fan who hasn't watched in a while and maybe is coming back to it now to give it another chance. Yeah. So what AEW, in, ex in an example, but it doesn't have to be AEW, AEW could be trying to get some of the lapsed WCW fans, people that watch the Monday Night Wars, that yeah. loved yeah. wrestling on TNT if they had any loyalty to that network for whatever reason, or they liked the Southern style, you know, if that still is part of it, or they liked the, the bloodier stuff, and they've gotten sick of WWE staleness, you know, yeah. Miz versus Cesaro for the Intercontinental title for five years. Uh, so they were a lapsed fan. They had a great interest at one point in their life. They cooled on it, or wrestling cooled in general. And that fan hasn't really watched, but they always had a soft spot for wrestling. And now yeah. their soft spot is kind of reignited uh, through something happening. So that podcast you're talking about, they did a great series on Starcade and WrestleMania. And they had um, Meltzer come in as a special guest, and he would dissect and analyze uh, every year's Starcade and every year's WrestleMania, which right, kind of was right. nice because it gave you a highlight, a comprehensive highlight of each year in about a 20 or 30 minute soundbite, uh, rather than listening to millions of hours of podcasts in 20 or 30 minutes, you could kind of get an yeah, overview yeah. of pro wrestling from 83 to, uh, you know, whenever they stopped doing it, which was like 2009 or 10 or something. All right, Mikey, so bring this lapsed fan up to speed. Let's talk AEW full gear. Okay. Um, I watched it. I watched it. And, and here's the thing that I watched the pay-per-view by myself on a laptop computer. And so I didn't have like a, a house full of buddies watching on the big screen or anything. You know what I mean? I've just geographically moved to a new location. So I was kind of on my own. I had a couple of phone calls come in that night. Um, I went to the Baltimore Arena as a kid. I really ordered this pay-per-view because I felt like it was a way of kind of honoring my own childhood as a wrestling fan. You know, like I, I was there for the Crockett Cup 87, folks. You know what I mean? So 
I've been around the block with this place. And so to yeah. see the to see the Baltimore arena come alive and be featured and highlighted for a big show is great. Um, that being said, I would have I don't know if I even liked the show as much as others did. I gave it kind of an overall rating of a B with the Moxley Omega as being the best match on the show. Uh, like you said, the Cody MJF thing was was pretty predictable. It was well played out. Um, I thought there was some some good moments on the show, some great moments. I Mike, liked what it. kept you from giving it an A plus? I just think that, like I said, the beginning and middle of some of these matches weren't established in the weeks ahead. We didn't have uh, a Joey Janela, uh, Joey Janela, Sean Spears build up. Um, this three tag team title match, a uh, three team match, I would have liked to take private party out of it and just had the Lucha Brothers uh, versus SCU two on two. Um, you know, basically, it wasn't that they did anything wrong, is that it just didn't have those emotional payoffs for me uh, that I would have liked. And it wasn't as different as it could have been. Uh, that being said, I enjoyed it. It was fun to watch. Uh, maybe I'll watch it again at some point. But, uh, um, you know, the Omega Moxley thing, I've forgiven Kenny Omega because of that match. I, mean, I really had an, an issue with Kenny Omega yeah. wrestling the Japanese young women in Japan 10 years ago. Uh, you know, Kenny Omega um, doing the thing, wrestling, uh, wrestling a plastic doll. Uh, a lot of things in Kenny Omega's career have, have uh, pissed me off. And I've decided because of what he went through on Saturday night has earned him my forgiveness for what it's worth. Good. Yeah. You know, he's being touted as probably the best wrestler on the planet right now. And now I don't know if that reputation is deserved, whether it's earned or whether by just by attrition, I can see that that smirk on your face. like. <laughs> I know where you're coming with this answer, but but maybe just by attrition, you know, or because there's nobody else around, <laughs> maybe Kenny Omega has earned that reputation. You're, you're chomping at the bit, Mikey. Go ahead. <laughs> I'll say this. If, if people remember the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Top 500 issue, and in 1997, they gave the number one spot to Dean Malenko, who was like yeah. the he was a cruiserweight champion, and, and they kind of gave it to him, but in a backhanded way, they said, you know what, nobody else was really doing great this year. Steve Austin got a neck injury halfway through the year, blah, blah, blah. So we'll give it to Dean Malenko because he's the best guy in the actual ring. I think that might be the deal with Omega, and, and I'll be honest, because the first exposure I had to Omega's wrestling was the Japanese doll thing, or the, the, the Japanese little girl and the doll and all that stuff. I've never yeah. really sat there and studied Omega Okada, their four match epics, but I've made a wrestling buddy uh, date with a good friend of mine to sit there at some point, and we're going to watch uh, bell to bell all four Omega Okada matches, me and my pal uh, Tommy Danucci, a filmmaker, a fellow filmmaker, and we're going to sit there and watch those damn matches, and maybe I'll come out of it with more respect for Omega's career. But to me... Some of the things that Jim Cornette brings up, the, the head shaking, uh, the smarkiness, yeah. uh, cool for school crap. 
I mean, there's a there's a thing. I'll make a comparison from Omega to John Cena real quick. I was watching a John Cena match four or five years ago, and I was watching John Cena, and I, he was doing all these moves and taking all these moves. And I said, man, Cena's not even sweating. Like, he's literally not sweating during this match. And I right. said, he's making it look too easy. And I think that when you're a pro wrestler, whether it's Kenny Omega, John Cena, whoever else, if you make the thing look too easy, then you're losing the interest of a guy like me who... The believability is gone. Right. I'm used to seeing Dusty Rhodes with a splotch on his stomach, bleeding from the forehead, and Tully Blanchard trying to kill each other. And if you're making... Uh, throwing, you know, the great Kali over your shoulders or Bray Wyatt throwing him across the ring, if yeah. that's John Cena or if Kenny Omega has got time to be uh, sarcastic or, or or whatever during the middle of his Okada matches, I'm sorry, you've lost my interest. Somebody else might be loving it, but I'm not. Yeah, it's interesting because Kenny Omega wrestling that nine-year-old girl in Japan and wrestling the blow-up doll did nothing to hurt his reputation in Japan. He was, he's over like Rover there. They love him. But it's the, I guess, the, the bastardized American wrestling fan that takes issue with it. Well, how dare he put over a nine-year-old girl? You know, how dare he lose to a rubber doll? You know? So, uh, you know, it's it's a matter of t- maybe a matter of taste, I guess. I don't know. You know I, I, he didn't score any brownie points with me. Let's put it that way. Oh, look, I'm not I'm not going to assimilate my taste in wrestling or in entertainment. No offense, but to the Japanese. I mean, those folks have got some real hardcore perversions in the culture. Uh, the way they sure. treat the way that they treat their women and and some of their films and so forth, and I'm not going to get into a big political debate about it. And and I have I love a lot of things about the Japanese culture, but but some of their stuff is pretty edgy to the point of being beyond the edge to me. So I'm not going to assimilate my taste to what they might like. True enough. True enough. Okay, what what match on the card stood out for you as the best? all-around wrestling match like if you had to pick one of the 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 nine or ten ten cards on that match i mean i guess i'll go with the easy pick of of the cody uh jericho match that was probably the best because as we've been saying they built a storyline there were stakes and then bischoff on his podcast 83 weeks talks about stakes the stakes were if I don't come out of this match, being Cody, with the world title around my waist, then I'll never challenge for it again. So that type of stipulation. Now, you don't need a stipulation on every match going in. But that was a really good stipulation because people were fearsome that Cody was going to become the Jerry Lawler of the you know Memphis territory. Like, like every other time you turn on AEW, Cody will have the AEW title and who's he fighting against for it. Yeah, so that was probably the best. The MJF, although we could see it a mile coming away, but he really pulled a Owen Hart Survivor Series '94 by throwing the towel in for the guy that he wanted to to lose, uh, yes. Cody. So I mean, I think you probably have to go for that. I would like to probably shut out uh, to the undercard just to just to mix it up a little bit, so we're not saying what everybody else is saying. 
I think the two women on the dark match, uh, Bria Priestley, who I'm a big fan of, and uh, Dr. Britt Baker, the, the wrestling dentist lady, I think they had a very good match in a short amount of time. Right. Uh, Britt Baker got the victory. And then they did a little bit of a teaser for some type of thing with Brandy and Awesome Kong. And uh, I would just give one last thing to Paige and uh, Adam Page and Pac, I think, had a good hard-hitting, you know, opening mid-card match. So I, I would probably say those three matches. I, I agree, uh, particularly with the uh, Pac-Page match. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of Adam Page. I think this he's got star written all over him. I think he will quickly climb the ladder in AEW. It wouldn't surprise me within the next two to three months to see him as the AEW champion. And I think that's where it's it's going. Um, I do see, you know, the proverbial thorn in everyone's side, you know, MJF, making his presence known, although I don't know how technically sound he is as a wrestler, because at some point he will have to wrestle. And I don't, people should understand that we have yet to see him wrestle. He's great on the microphone. He cuts a hell of a promo. But what can he do in the ring? We don't know because we haven't seen it. People lose sight of that, I think, sometimes, Mike. And MJF, I've, I've actually seen him wrestle live. Um, he's kind of like uh, EC3 or, or, or The Miz, just kind of a a bradish heel keeps it pretty simple, but he, he can he can do a good match. Talk to me about Nyla Rose. Oh boy. Let's um, talk about Nyla. Sure. I like Nyla. Yeah. I think Nyla represents old school women's wrestling. Okay. Why are they not using this lady? Um okay, well, or is well it the fact that she's not a lady. Okay, so you, you just brought it up, and that, how you just said it, because you're a fan of hers, she represents old school to you, but then you said she's not a lady, and your response right there, Angelo, is I think they're missing out on the whole Nyla Rose experience, which is... I absolutely agree, and I, that's why I led you that way. Make this a storyline. They need to have someone, whether it's Britt. I mean, Britt Baker would be great at it because she seems like she could handle a microphone. Um, but she they need to have a situation, in my opinion, where the champion, it, it wouldn't, uh, whoever the current champion is, uh, I always get her name wrong, Fio, Fio. Um, oh, Riho, yeah. She wouldn't be able to handle it. Riho, I'm sorry, Riho. Right. You, you need to have, um, Riho, you need to have a Britt Baker or, or someone on the microphone that can basically say, as the champion, say, hey, your next title defense is against Nyla, the next big pay-per-view. And that champion says, I'm not going to wrestle her. I'm not going to wrestle it. I'm not going to wrestle that. And what do you mean? She's the number one contender. And then you get into a whole thing with, she was not born a woman. She was not born with the same genetics as me. She has an unfair advantage. And guess what, folks? This is real-life current events, hot topics, this is stuff that people debate. Go to Joe Rogan's podcast, see him debating 
uh, the the MMA fighter who was a transgender male to female who severely yeah. injured an opponent. This is real life stuff. And, so, and and therein I invoke the name of Vince Russo. Right. Once again, because Vince, although he understood little about wrestling, and I contend that, I'm sorry, Vince, if you get angry, but he understood people. That's the difference. He did not understand the wrestling business, nor did he understand the politics of the wrestling business. But Vince Russo understood people. He understood compelling storylines come from real life. Anyone will tell you, real life makes compelling wrestling angles. We've seen it throughout history. The feud between Buddy Rogers and Bruno San Martino. That was real life heat. And Bruno beat Buddy on a shoot. Then that's how he became champion. He beat him on a shoot. 63 seconds match in MSG with the backbreaker. Exactly. Lasted less than a minute. Was it 47 seconds or 63? 47 okay. seconds, sir. Okay. So, yep. the thing. The rematch must have been 63. That's all. <laughs> but, um, it lasts much longer than a minute, I can tell you that. If I could, um, no Google here, folks. Was that match on May 17th, 1963? I'm going by memory. I believe it may have been, yes. I have a pretty good memory for these things. Um, so let's let's take it back to um, the whole deal with Nyla. It was interesting to me that you said you're a fan of hers. Then you said, you know, she's she's not a lady, and I think that's what's fascinating about well, it. Oh, no, it, it's not that I said she's not a lady. I said, or is it the fact that she's not a lady? Well, this is why I find it fascinating because as a fan of hers. That crosses into your mind. To me, now, when I look at her, she looks like a woman. Why well, she she sounds like a woman. But what I'm saying is, everybody's going to have their different take on it. Transgender is a huge thing right now. But if you look Absolutely. at the if you look at the statistics, there are very few transgender people. Very few. I think it's uh, the statistics. Somebody told me was like 0.2 percent of the U.S. population is transgender. So for a, a population that relatively numbers-wise is not very big, the transgender movement or awareness is getting a hell of a lot of attention for a, a, a pretty small amount of people, numbers-wise. Yeah. Doesn't mean that they're not worthy of consideration, doesn't mean any of that stuff. It's just, it's a bigger issue, pop culture, socially, than uh, percentage-wise. That's why it's so fascinating. Because I think it, it hits people at a lot of levels, which is A, freedom to make up your own mind. B, uh, religious people would say, hey, why are you changing what God made you? Uh, and then you go on from there. And then it's like, well, how do you label these people? Then other people want to say, why does anyone need to be labeled at all? People want to raise their kids without gender denominations. Yeah, then exactly. So it's all these things, and this is a powder keg that if I were writing for AEW, this would be one of the top storylines. This would be that you'd have to I have... Agree, and I think they're missing out, and that's why I brought it up. 
They're missing out. What do you do with this? I think you can do write anything. It is what you do with it. You write it. Uh, you, you, you make, make it. it real because it's real. Right. And to me, it's in a way missing out. It's also condescending to say that we're so liberal or we're so evolved. You know, and I'm talking about Cody or whoever else is making this decision. We're so evolved and we're so holier than thou that we're not even going to touch it because that would make us, uh, you know, go there. We can't go there. Well, you're being too politically correct. And if, if you're not in touch with the heartbeat of America and wants to have this debate and could use pro wrestling as a catalyst for this uh, topic, debate, storyline, whatever you want to call it, you're missing yeah. out. And that's why they're not getting people who would watch The View and maybe The View would mention it. And I can see Whoopi Goldberg talking about this. I can see other people talking about this. The late night talk shows could have Nyla on and Britt Baker for a debate. I'm just using Britt as an example, folks. I mean, she, she's got nothing to do with this other than me using her as an example. But you could have a whole big thing that was fascinating and could, could raise consciousness. And, and why are people alarmed by her? Why are people afraid of her? Have that come to the surface and let's talk about it rather than we have to be so politically correct and walk on eggshells that we can't, uh, we just have to have her wrestle every other match, like every other person. To me, that's a wasted yeah. opportunity. Well, where do they go from here, Mike? Um, Having Mike, seen this pay-per-view, where do they go from here? It, they're obviously going to have many more. Yeah, and I think... Um, the 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 story that I've heard now, and, and listening to things like Wrestle Talk and other things, that uh, basically they're going to continue their one uh, their their one show two hours a week, and their dark show, which is all the dark matches. <laughs> it's funny if you buy a ticket to AEW, you really have to be dedicated because you can get all the stuff for free eventually if you just stay at home. But true. Uh, and then they're going to do their quarterly pay-per-views. Instead of doing a monthly pay-per-view like WWE, they're going to basically do four pay-per-views a year. And to me, that's good. I think less is more. I think that if you had to choose, and you're whether it's Angelo or Mike or anybody listening, unless you've got unlimited time to sit there in front of a TV set and watch the WWE Network and watch – whether it's you know reruns of 205 Live or uh, NXT UK, all these subdivisional shows, SmackDown, Raw, NXT, give me a break. You're giving us too much WWE. If you could just choose between that yeah. thing, which is giving your life over to that company, watch our two pay-per-views a month, watch this, watch that, versus here's our two-hour show a week, here's our one pay-per-view uh, every three months, and here is our dark show on YouTube if you get bored at work. Fans, make your own decision. Yeah. Well, Mikey, I think we're going to wrap it up right there. This can, we, we can continue with this conversation for a part two. In fact, maybe we'll do a part two. We'll bring Jeff the ref in. Sounds good. All right. So listen, hang in there with me for a minute. I'm going, oh, yeah, here we go. The Road Warriors. That's old school, brother. They were big in Baltimore, trust me. They were big in Baltimore. Oh, I know. They were big in Philly, too. Yep, yep, yep. All right, my friend. Well, listen, I'm going to let you go. So uh, just hang in there a little bit, and we'll uh, 
we'll bring Jeff in. We'll let me record a part two. It sounds good. All right. Take care, everybody. Signing off from Mike Messier, Psychic Medium Angelo here for Wrestling with the Future. Happy wrestling, everybody. Bye bye.